Corinthians, ninth chapter, I think's where we are. We touched into this last time in chapter 9, but we'll hit it start again in verse 1. Paul says, am I not an apostle? Now, he's not asking that because he's doubting. That's a question that has its answer built in. It'd be a rhetorical type question. Of course, he's an apostle. Am I not free? Well, with freedom with the limitations that we all have. Nobody's free to do anything and everything. But our freedom has limitations within the word of God. Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Well, that was one of the qualifications of being an apostle. Had to have been personally taught by the Lord. Well, how long did Paul spend in the Arabian desert with the Lord? Was it three years? How long did the other apostles spend with the Lord? About three years. So, yes, he has seen the Lord. uh, Not with his physical eye on the road to Damascus, but he saw him. And then for the other remaining three years, he did see him. I don't know how that all worked. I'd be anxious to find out about it. But at any rate... And that's why the Apostle Paul is such a brilliant commentator on the Lord, on the Word of God, and a writer, because he had all that personal time that Jesus was his personal tutor for three years. And he says, are not ye, that you all, my work in the Lord? Well, the result of his work in the Lord, that is, those living people, living, breathing people who they themselves now were saving, uh, serving the same Lord that saved Paul. And so they're living proofs of his apostleship. And that's what he's saying. If I be not one to others, yet doubtless I am to you. He's not saying that he's not an apostle. There's others that doubted his apostleship. He says, I may not be to them, but he says, I am to to you, doubtless I am to you, because you know me. You've experienced me. For the seal of mine apostleship, are you all in the Lord? Uh, You get a letter from the White House. It'll have the seal on it. And that's that seal proves its validity. And he says, you all are my seal in the Lord. Proof that I'm serving the Lord. I'm called of, I'm called of God and I'm a servant of God. <clears throat> and he says, mine answer to them that do examine me is this now there are plenty that question Paul and they still do it today 
there are slews of people who try to prove that Paul was not a, no, a legitimate apostle. But yet the Bible plainly teaches that he was a legitimate apostle. So he's not done with that now. So, well, I'll be glad when all this is over. Well, it'll only be over when we're in the eternal ages. And there's a new heaven and a new earth. And all of those out of Christ will be in the eternal lake of fire that burns forever and ever. Then this kind of stuff will be over. He asks further questions here. Have we not power? Now that word power <clears throat> is the same word in the Greek as is used in Matthew 28. Exousios. Uh, have we not authority? That's the power he's talking about. A right. Authority. To lead about a sister, a wife. Now, of course, the sister part there is a sister in Christ. He's not talking about fleshly sister. He's talking about I have a power, we have authority to have a wife, but she must be a sister in Christ. No child of God has a right really to marry outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Seldom ever works out, but going into it, we must know what we're doing. And as well as the other apostles, they all have the same authority. Some of them have wives. Uh, I think it's Matthew 8, isn't it? Let me look over here quickly. Uh, verse 14, I think. Yeah. All right, and when Jesus was come into Peter's house, that's Simon Peter, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. Now, you don't have to be a mental heavyweight to know what that verse says. The whole Catholic Church, uh, Officially, since about the year 1058, I think it is, Hildebrand, the Pope, declared it a, a law that all the priests could not marry and those that had wives had to get rid of them. Nuns could not marry and those that had husbands had to get rid of them. From that date, now it was probably going on a little bit before that, but that's when the actual law came down. So since then, it's been against Canaan law, Catholic law, for a priest to get married or a nun to get married. And that has produced one of the most filthy, immoral situations that one could imagine. That's why there's so many homosexuals and pedophiles 
that are priests, and they are. We, I mean, the news media declared it a few years ago. It was in the paper every, every night. Uh, but they say the apostle Peter wasn't married. No, wasn't it? They say the apostle Peter wasn't married. Now, how many understand, verse 14, when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. Now, who was sick in Peter's house? His wife's mother. And the Pope says he wasn't married. Somebody's a liar. And it's not God. Anyway, so Paul says we have the authority to do it. Now we got into chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, and we found out why Paul and some of the others were not married. Not because it was against God's word, but because of the present distress of all the persecutions that they were all going, and it was going to get worse, and it did get times worse. Have we not power, authority to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord, and Cephas? He says Cephas had a wife, Cephas, Simon Peter. Or I only and Barnabas, have we not power to forbear working? Now there's a lot of folks, I haven't heard much about it lately, but there's a lot of, a lot of folks in times past have just thought that preachers ought not to get paid. When I came out here, there's a bunch of thought that. They were taught that back in the mountains of eastern Kentucky, that it's wrong for a preacher to get paid. Now, a lot of those preachers that didn't get a paycheck, they got love offerings. And they were way more than a paycheck, whatever it be. Uh, but here's the thing. Paul said we have the authority. To not work and live off the gospel. I didn't say that. He said it. Now, and he says, on that vein, verse 7, who goes a warfare any time at his own charges. Well, I saw, I guess it's because of Memorial Day, some good history channels. On the Second World War. People don't have any idea what, what it's about. Anyway. And they started drafting men. You boys all listen to this. They can do that at any time. That conscription deal. Reenact the draft. I think you still have to sign up for the draft at 18, don't you? Even right now. Although they haven't drafted since after Vietnam. But we go to war 
they got to have soldiers. Sailors, airmen. They start drafting. I don't think they ever drafted anything under 18. Anybody under 18. But 18 was age. And if you didn't sign up at 18, they'd come and get you. And they'd sign you up and sign you in. So, here's what I'm saying. They draft you into the military. Army, Navy, Marines, Air Corps. Even sometimes they draft you in the Coast Guard. Then you go into training. Now, how are you going to live? Where are you going to get your food and your clothing and your shelter? Well, if they don't provide it, you sure can't provide it for yourself. He says, who goes to warfare at his own charges? Who pays his own way to go fight a battle? No, it's it's just not done. Now, there's a lot of soldiers for some countries that practice starve to death because their countries don't have, any, don't have enough money to feed them. That's why they, uh, they do anything they can to find something to eat. Uh, but you can't go to war at your own charges. Uh, and so he compares this to a preacher. How can you spend your time studying, preaching, and teaching the word, and evangelizing, and work and make a living? You can't do it. So, he says, have we, who goes to warfare in time at their own charges? Who plants a vineyard and eats not of the fruit thereof? If you go to the labor, work, do the labor of planting a vineyard, don't you think you'd have a right to some of the grapes as, as they, they reaped them? Or who feeds a flock eats not of the milk of the flock? You're a shepherd or you're a cattle herder. And shouldn't you have some of the milk? You take care of the chickens. Shouldn't you have some of the eggs? That's what he says. So, verse 8, Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also. Now, am I just pulling out of the resources of my mind these things, or is it written somewhere else? Well, the fact is it is written somewhere else. So he says in verse 9, For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Well, you know, plow, uh, treadeth out the corn. Anybody ever go to that... Uh, Old Mill and Pigeon Forge. I know y'all have. Have you seen the works where they do the deeds down there? 
they've got that big old paddle wheel and that river comes there and it turns that paddle wheel that's connected got an axle that goes all the way into there and got gears and you got great big stones that it turns one stone rolls on top of another round and that corn is put in there and that rock crushes that corn and then it falls out another way and there you've got fresh ground corn well it used to be a lot of those around Weisenberger used to have one of them they let it rot off but they still have ground stone ground corn down there but you look around uh, right down the road you got Evans Mill Road Mill that's what that was back in the old days were the ground corn going down a little bit further you've got uh, McCall's Mill no it's Grimes Mill that was another mill. And then on a little bit further, you got McCall's Mill. So there's three mills, roads here. You've got them all over Fayette County. And on every one of those roads, that was it ended in a creek or the river, and they had a mill there, and that was the name of the mill, Clay's Mill Road. Uh, so, and that's what they did. They ground out the corn. Well, if you don't have a river, you don't have that water power, you got to have some kind of power. Well, back in, in uh, 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 Samson's day, they made him do it. Other than that, they had mules or oxen to do it. In Israel, they had oxen. Well, oxen are just cattle, the, the, trained cattle, and they're very strong. They yoke them together, and there they are, treading out the stone, grinding the corn. Well, it says, you shall not put a muzzle on the mouth of the oxen. Well, that ox, he's doing that all day long. He's got a right to bend his head down there and eat, eat of the corn that he's grinding. Well, uh, or the ox, let's see, doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written that he that, he that ploweth should plow in hope and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. Look back at Deuteronomy 25. He's got a whole plethora of different subjects here but in verse 4 it says thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn and that's what Paul uh, cites over here in 1 Corinthians 9 and so it's talking about the ones that are doing the labor get to profit from their labor there's a man plowing all day well, when they reap that field, he has a right to some of whatever they reap, even if it doesn't belong to him. That's what God's saying. So he says, uh, verse 11, now he turns it back to himself and to others. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing? If we shall reap your carnal things. The word carnal just means fleshly. 
That would be material things. So, Brother Paul, what are you saying? Well, I'm saying that that the ones that labor in the word and doctrine, sowing the spiritual seed, they need to reap the carnal things from those. I believe it might have been B.H. Carroll. It's one of those old preachers. No, it wasn't Carroll. It was one of the other ones. Anyway, had a three-point outline. Preaching to preachers. Here's what we do with the sheep of God. Find them. Feed them. Fleece them. Well, you got sheep. What happens whenever it's shearing time? They don't kill the sheep. They've grown all this wool. And they have to lose that wool. They've got to get rid of it. And then the sheep shears take those shears. Now they got electric ones. But those even got those old squeeze time. They could flat cut that wool off those sheep. Well, that's what fleecing sheep is, taking the fleece off of them. And then that wool is cleaned and carded and to turn it into fabric. And you make wool dresses, wool suits, wool shirts, wool everything, wool blankets. Valuable. And they last for a long time. And they certainly keep, you don't have wool blankets in the Philippines, do you, sister? You have no need for a wool blanket over there. But boy, sometimes here they really feel good. And so uh, that's, that's fleecing the sheep. It's not hurting the sheep. It's taking some of their product. Well, if a, if a preacher, if he's doing his job, he's worthy of that. And here's what he's saying. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing? If we shall reap your carnal things. So there's nothing for all those people that used to teach that is wrong for a pastor, a preacher to be paid. In East Kentucky, practically all of them taught that. And I had a bunch of them that thought that right here. They, they were glad for you to starve. They tried to starve me to death. When I first came here, I had time. I couldn't even buy a cup of coffee. And they, they, they knew, did nothing about it. And I finally went back to work. Uh, but they said, no, you got to put all your time in for us. But I didn't have enough to live on. Not that I was wasteful. I wasn't wasteful. Still not. But the scriptures teach the truth. And here it is. Now, if others, verse 12, be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? That is, if somebody thinks they've got more authority over you than we do, they don't. Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hit, hinder the gospel of Christ. Now, Paul says, we haven't exercised this authority that we have 
Because we're trying to preach the gospel where it's never been preached before. And we don't want our receiving from you to be a hindrance to the gospel. People say, well, they're just in here for the money. I've been accused of trying to get rich out here. I really have. Several times. Jesus said, when the money's gone, he'll be gone. Yeah. All stuff like that. Uh, I thank God it's not true now, but for many of the years I've been here, I've been the biggest giver in the church. But I'm supposed to set the example, aren't I not? Well, but I couldn't do that before. I had to go back to work. But I never let my preaching or my teaching down. I never let it suffer. I didn't have much time for myself. That's why it's been probably 50 years since I've been fishing. Well, I'll tell you what, I haven't been on a fishing trip since I was on the fire department. And that's over 50 years. I resigned there in 1969. Uh, haven't been hunting. I don't do those things. Not because they're wrong. I haven't had the time or money to do it. Anyway, verse 13. Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple. The priests and the workers in the, in the tabernacle and the temple, they lived off of what was in the temple and the tabernacle. And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Now that altar was in the tabernacle and the temple. Now, even so, when he says that, now that was then. But even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And that's what's right. Now look back at Numbers 18. Verse 8. <clears throat> and the Lord spake unto Aaron, Behold, I also have given thee the charge of mine heave offerings of all the hallowed things of the children of Israel. Now the heave offerings are when they took like a leg of cattle and waved it, heave. Uh, so... Unto thee have I given thee by reason of the anointing, and to thy sons by an ordinance forever. This shall be thine of the most holy things, reserved from the fire, every oblation of theirs, every meat offering of theirs, every sin offering of theirs, and every trespass offering of theirs, which they shall render unto me, shall be most holy for thee and for thy sons. You eat off of those offerings. That's what he's saying. In the most holy place shalt thou eat it, every male shall eat it, it shall be holy unto thee. And this is thine, the heave offering of their gift, with all the wave offerings of the children of Israel. I have given them unto thee, and to thy sons, and to thy daughters with thee, by statute, that's a law, forever. Every one that is clean in thy house 
shall eat of it. All the best of the oil, all the best of the wine and of the wheat, the firstfruits of them which they shall offer unto the Lord, them have I given thee. And whatsoever is first ripe in the land, which they shall bring unto the Lord, shall be thine. Everyone that is clean in thine house shall eat of it. That is, they're living the life of a priest. Everything devoted in Israel shall be thine. Everything that openeth the matrix in all flesh, which they bring unto the Lord, whether it be of men or beasts, shall be thine. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man shalt thou surely redeem, and the firstling of unclean beasts shalt thou redeem, and those that are to be redeemed from a month old shalt thou redeem, according to thine estimation, for the money of five shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, which is twenty geras, but the firstling of a cow, the firstling of a sheep, or the firstling of a goat, thou shalt not redeem. They are holy. That is, they belong to the Lord. Thou shalt sprinkle their blood upon the altar, and shalt burn their fat for an offering made by fire for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the flesh of them shall be thine as the wave breast, and as a right shoulder are thine. All the heave offerings of the holy things, which the children of Israel offer unto the Lord, have I given thee and thy sons, and thy daughters with thee by statute forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord unto thee and to thy seed with thee. Now, that's what Paul is referring to when he says that they which uh, minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Now, what he's doing is telling you how the priests made how they lived. Everybody has to make a living somehow. Not many many people have ever had the free ride that we've got now for bums that don't want to work and refuse to work, and they still get supported. Uh, That's not scriptural. Paul said if any man won't work, neither should they eat. But our government doesn't listen to the word of God. And they buy votes by doing that, by supporting people. I'm not saying people that can't work. I'm saying people that won't work. And we've got a slew of them today, more than ever. Uh, but, but it is assumed that everybody is going to have a, a means to support themselves. That's what children do. They grow up into adults and they become productive and they, they uh, support themselves and then their families. And that's the way it's supposed to work. Well, a preacher may be doing a different kind of a work. Look at a missionary, a foreign missionary. Somebody goes to a foreign field to work. They're a, an American. And they get all the paperwork done and they go to Brazil. Do you know they cannot hold a job over there? I mean, illegals work here all the time. But you don't do it in other countries. You don't do it in Mexico. You don't do it anywhere. So a foreign missionary has got to have a a means of support coming from here. Well, how about a preacher? I remember one, he wasn't a member here, he had been. When I came here, uh, he was up in uh, Clay County. 
back upon Sexton's Creek. The former pastor here had convinced him to quit his job. He had a great job at the federal government at uh, Avon, I believe it was. He's a federal government worker. Good job. Benefits and all. He quit that job and took his wife and little kids, several of them, took them back there in the mountains. And I mean, he was so far back in, another foot he'd be on his way out. I mean, it was that far back. And I heard about him. He, he didn't have any support. The little old church where he was trying to pastor, they didn't have any money. They never had support of the preacher. So he went back there to try to live. He had a house that had no water, no electricity. I don't know where he got that house at. Had no car. And I, I loaded up. I didn't even know him. But I loaded up my old car with groceries and got Brother Hart to go with me. And we went up there and I finally found him. He was out with an old dilapidated shotgun. He had two shells looking for groundhogs. Because they was eating water gravy. Bread and water gravy. That's all they had to eat. And that little kid had a hole in his heart. Needed, I mean, they were just absolutely in abject poverty. Well, I tried, got him some support, did the best I could for him. But he shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have quit a job and, and subjected his wife and kids to that. That's what Paul was talking about. Now, he, if he was by himself, that had been fine. He could have done that if he hadn't had a wife and kids. But he had an obligation to support them. And he's starving them to death. Well, it didn't turn out real good. But anyway, I did all I could to try to help him. Anyway, so he said, that's what God has ordained for his preachers and prophets, missionaries to live. Well, we don't have prophets in that sense today. But then Paul said, I've used none of these things, neither, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me. I'm not begging for support from you. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. That is, destroy what I'm trying to preach. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Somebody that's called, they don't have a choice. God's called you to preach, you've got to preach. Necessity is laid. A lot of women don't understand that. Well, you, you decide to do that, you just quit it. No, no, really, you can't. Uh, for if I do this thing willingly, that is, preach the gospel, I have a reward that's God's uh, purpose and plan that he would reward faithfulness. He does that with everybody. It's not by, deserve, not by what you deserve, it's by grace, but he rewards faithfulness. But if against my will, see, he's, he's called to preach the gospel. And even if his will is not in it, he's still got a necessity. So a dispensation, that's a ministry of the gospel, is committed unto me. If I do it willingly, 
I can honestly say I've never done it unwillingly. That I can ever recall, never unwillingly. I've always been thrilled to preach. I've been thrilled to be anywhere preaching. Now, I've never made bukus of friends uh, because of what I've preached, but I haven't meant any ill will to anybody. I'm just preaching the truth. I don't mean any ill will, but am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? That's what Paul said to the Galatians. Anyway, he says, what is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge that I abuse not my power in the gospel. Although he's got all this power, as he's really talked about here, all of this authority, and he did have it. He said, I'm not abusing that power, not even using it to any degree, so that I might not hinder the message that I preach. Now, you know, it's amazing to me. I told you just a while ago, I've been accused several times, come back to me, that I'm trying to get rich in the ministry. Uh, I'm really not. But that I, would get, that I would get accused of that. And then you've got the Billy Grahams. You've got the big boys downtown. Emmanuel, Calvary, and even some a lot closer I could mention that I mean they make big bucks and they retire with big bucks and you never hear a word about them. But some little old dude like me struggling, painting for a living and trying to get by Accuse me of trying to get rich. How about that? Well, I know I know better, and the Lord knows better. But anyway, for though I be free, verse 19, from all men is in italics, from all. That would be not just men, but all. Anybody that would accuse him, anybody that would slander him, he said, I'm free from them. They they have no control over me. Yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more trying to win people and unto the Jews I became as a Jew now when he says all this he's not sacrificing sound doctrine he's not meaning that he's given up the truth but his own personal likes and dislikes he said, I became as a Jew. Well, he, knows, he knew what a Jew was, and he knew how to talk to a Jew, because he was formerly one, that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law as under the law. He used to be there, that I might gain them that are under the law to them that are without law, that's Gentiles, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak I became, to the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And it doesn't mean save in the in the scriptural way of saving somebody from, from their sins. That he might what he said that he might uh, gain them. 
And that's what he's talking about. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. So now he's got it on a, the service of God. Like a race. Well, everybody in that race are all running. Say there's 15 men running against men. Now you got 15, you got 12 women running against three men dressed like women. That's what we've got in this world today. But legitimate race, 15 men running that race, they're all running. What are they running for to win? You don't get in a race to lose. I mean, you watch the Kentucky Derby. I don't remember all the horses' names. But I remember there's some way back in that pack. I just saw it on news the next day. But they're way, but they didn't get in that race to run last. They got in that race, hopefully they could run first to win. And that's what he's talking about here. Uh, verse 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery, that is, to come out at the top of whatever you're doing, is temperate in all things. Temperate, you mean you don't get into anything that's going to detract you from what you're doing, where you keep your eye uh, centered on what you're doing. Uh, who was it? Somebody asked, One of the heavyweight boxers, champions, how many sit-ups he did. He said, well, I'll tell you, I don't start counting until it hurts. Then wonder why he's got a six-pack. And wonder why he can take a pounding in that middle. How many miles a day do they do road work you know so they're running for the mastery and they're temperate in all things that it temperate means controlled in all things now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown well sure enough a uh, a belt a world champion heavyweight belt wrestler lightweight middleweight uh, boxers and those belts or you run as Indianapolis 500 it doesn't run yet has it I think it's getting close to it but I know they've got a big trophy uh, UK they run they win the national championship they've won a bunch of them they've got all these big trophies the Kentucky Derby got a big trophy and all that but now Think about all those that have won those trophies. What do those trophies mean to them now? Not a thing. They're in some museum or out the racetrack, out to Keeneland or something in a, in a glass, and there's the Kentucky Derby Trophy of 1936. Was that about Seabiscuit's time? I don't know, somewhere's in there. So those trophies are probably still around. Many of them are. But they're, they're corruptible, right, 
right fire come along, they're gone. <coughs> but these people, they're running for that. They're working for that corruptible crap. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> But we're doing it for an incorruptible crown. We are. That is, if you're serving the Lord. What we're doing it for is incorruptible. Paul said he's, there's a crown of righteousness laid up for him. He says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, and so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. Well, you ever see a boxer running and shadow boxing while it running? That's beating the air. Paul said, I'm not doing that. I'm running for real. And I'm running for an incorruptible crown. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway or rejected. Keep that in context. That's not a completely different verse there. That's the end of the context that we're in about running a race, being temperate in all things, running for an incorruptible crown. And he says, oh, I keep under my body that I might bring it into subjection. That means I have to control its appetites. Everything that I do and all that. So that I myself won't end up being a reject. He's not talking about lose your salvation. Campbellites use that to try to teach you can lose your salvation. It doesn't mean any such thing. The context is very plain. That I myself, after doing all this stuff, I end up being a reject and win nothing. And that's what he's talking about. All right. May the Lord bless you all.